So, um, we're at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at that. Amazing. We finally made it. I think the last few uh, weeks I've been saying we're coming to the end, we're coming to the end, and now this is the end. This is the great summing up. Uh, what are we going to do with these words that Jesus spoke? So if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew 7. We're going to read verses 24 to 29. And a sermon title, Building Your Life in Christ. Building Your Life in Christ. So if you need a church Bible, put a hand up. And uh, Dan will make sure you get one. If you're using a church Bible, it's page 972. Page 972, Matthew 7. Verses 24 to 29. Words of Jesus. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it's had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were and not as their teachers of the law. And there's that final image that I've mentioned a few times. He went up on the mountainside, he sat down like all the rabbis did uh, when they had something important to say and his the followers were around him but the world looks on and we see right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount it was the crowds that were amazed. The world was amazed. Um, we assume his followers were amazed. I'm hoping that we're amazed at his teaching but it was the crowds uh, that were amazed as well. All of us want to know, don't we, what the future holds. I mean, if we really knew what the future held, we'd all be multimillionaires. We know what the stock market's going to do. We know what the lottery numbers would be. Not that any of you play that. Um, and we'd know what's coming. Uh, it might be a bit dull uh, to know everything that's going to go on. But the fact is, we don't really know what our future holds. People think they do. People predict many things. People predict the return of Christ. Uh, people predict so many different things. And a lot of what they predict doesn't come true. Um, and you're probably sitting there thinking, well, I wonder what the future holds for me. Certainly I do, I think about it, um, but I've got a few uh, stories here that uh, make us smile a bit. All of us don't, we have dreams, hopes and, and ambitions, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a, you know, there's a group called Futurologists, did you know that? You did? I didn't. I looked it up. Futurologists, it doesn't take a rocket science to mix all these you know, gifted people, uh, to work out. They're to do with the future. They're to do with what they think is going to happen in the future. And, um, and they predict these things. For example, they predict that some babies born today, or in this generation, will live to the age of 150. Wow, 150. That would mean I've got a long way to go. Uh, I'd be about a third of my way through my life if that were the case, when realistically, probably more than half. Some of the predictions might come true, others don't. In 1876, this is funny, the head of the British post office, good old post office, uh, said that the Americans have need of the telephone, but we don't. We have plenty of messenger boys. (laughs) Believe that? That's what they said. In 1932, Albert Einstein, good old Albert, he said, there is not the slightest indication that nuclear energy will ever be obtainable. In 1943, Thomas Watson, anyone know him? 
Hmm? Light bulb. Might be. No, that was Edison, wasn't it? Edison. You know, he had me thinking, though, there. It just shows you, doesn't it? I'm not as clever as I make out. What's the laugh for? Um, I'm back to Albert Einstein. Where am I? Okay, Thomas Watson. He was the chairman of IBM. No, I didn't know that either, so... But no, none, none of them. At least you tried to guess. Uh, he was the chairman of IBM. He said, there's no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. <laughs> I mean, he's right up there with Ratner saying that his jewellery is a lot of rubbish, isn't he? You know, he's making computers and saying no one will want one of these in their home. In 1962, what were Decca Records famous for saying? No to the Beatles. They'll never make it. Oops. Bad day at the office. Not everything that we think comes true. In 1974, anyone know what Margaret Thatcher said? Which is quite poignant in the times that we're in. I mean, she said a lot of things in 1974, to be fair. There's one thing that I'm trying to think of. That's right. She said, it will be years, certainly not in my lifetime, before a woman becomes a prime minister. Yes, she could be wrong as well. So there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between what we think is going to happen and sometimes what does happen. All of us have our dreams and aspirations. And the decisions we make in this life have a direct impact on our future. We want to know what the future holds, the dreams and the fears. And Jesus talks to us about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He's basically saying today, this morning, and then, there is a difference between hearing this stuff and actually applying it to your life which is really life in all its fullness. You can hear it as much as you want, and then you'll be very well educated. But if you want to be transformed, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. We've got to look at these words and take them seriously. Now, years ago, I remember going over to a lake, and I saw these windsurfers. You see windsurfers? Not quite the cool thing it was then. Kite surfing is the thing now. I fear that if I did that, I'd end up in Kent or something over the Thames. Not that Kent's a bad place, just thinking about the journey uh, over the Thames. Um, but I looked at windsurf and I thought, I want to windsurf. That looks so cool. Bit of Beach Boys in my full Fiesta 1.1 Popular Plus. AVX 902X, I can still remember it. I loved it. But I thought, I'll have a go at windsurf. I'm going to have a go. So I went along to the lake and I said, he said, have you done it before? I said, no, it looks easy. And I got on it and I made an absolute fool of myself. Uh, if you know anything about sailing a windsurf, you ended up downwind, which is really difficult uh, to come back to. That's why I like skiing. You kind of ski to the bottom, you just get a lift up. What they need in windsurf is someone to take you back upwind. Uh, but they don't do it, so it's a lot of hard work. So it's very, very comical. And in the end, I went on a holiday on my own abroad to, with the sole aim of learning to windsurf. And of course, I had instruction. And I took lessons and all of a sudden, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't on the wrong direction anymore. I didn't fall off quite as much as I used to. Somebody told me how to do it. Well, this is what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's, it's Jesus telling us how to live our lives. He's taken the Ten Commandments and actually expanded them so much more. So it's not just don't kill, it's don't be angry. You know, it's not just don't commit adultery, it's don't even look. It's really difficult teaching. And of course we know we need Jesus on the cross to pay for the things that we do wrong. But there's a big difference in hearing or looking uh, how, uh, at windsurfers and actually being taught how to do it. And there's a bigger difference between hearing the word of God and actually making sure I apply it to my life. The last three sections of the Sermon on the Mount are all about decisions. I needed help in windsurfing. I had to listen, I watched, and then I applied what I learned and I got better. I wonder, as we take the words of Jesus who last week said, what gate will we enter? The broad gate, which is easy, or the narrow one, which is where we need instruction and God himself to live within us 
to take us on that journey. Who will we follow? The false lies of the world, the false prophets, or the, or the true prophet Jesus himself? He tells us this morning that your decisions will shape your future. And this is radical teaching. It's important teaching. Jesus is asking us this morning, what will you base your life on? Do you want to, do you want to be like the foolish young man? Or do you want to be like the wise man? Are you going to base it on rock, which is solid, or sand that shifts with the tide? Will you listen? Will you watch? Will you apply? We used to have holidays in Ramsgate, and I have fond memories of Ramsgate. I haven't been back there for a long while, though. But as a kid, I loved it, and it always seemed to be sunny. And I remember my auntie Sheila. She's quite a vocal sort of person. Uh, She's been to this church. If she comes again for any event, do not tell her I've spoken about her. Um, but she'll go up to anyone and start talking. And she built us this, we was only young, and she built us, she, she dug uh, in the sand and built a motorboat. Actually had the seat and the steering wheel and everything. It was just made of sand. And uh, this little kid came up. Um, and he said, I, I really want a boat like that. And she said, well, I'll sell it to you. <laughs> this is true. This is actually what happened. So he said, well, I've only got 2p. And 2p was a lot of money then. I mean, you could get like a half p mix-up bag down the sweet shop. So 2p was quite a bit of money. So we took his money. I think back now, it's horrendous, isn't it? So she says, I made a sand. What tide's going to be in a minute? Washing it away. I said, great. So she taught me a life lesson. The boy's mum, 10 minutes later, taught me another life lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Because she came up and said, who's the boy that's got your 2p? Now, by this time, I've got a lollipop in my mouth. Guess what paid for that? So all I could, I said, look, he said, what are you doing? And my auntie, she had to come over and sort of, and I gave him the lollipop half piece, and I said, can we be friends, you know? Anyway, the fact was, the tide was going to come in and wash it away, and it was worthless. So why do we want to build our lives on sand that will shift and change with the tide, or on the rocks that if I was to look over the bay in Ramsgate, I could see would stay there forever? They were solid. They were solid. Who am I going to follow? The Sermon on the Mount has been all about our character and our attitudes, our action, but ultimately it must lead to our transformation, becoming more like Christ. And that's our challenge. So I want to look at briefly, before we lead into communion, as a way of, I thought today, a way of communion, a way of recommitment, or maybe viewed for the first time, but really to take these words uh, seriously. But we're going to look at two men, two outlooks, two decisions, and two outcomes. I mean, it's... When you think about it, it's just a clear decision in life to take. Follow Jesus or not. We've got two men, two outlooks, two decisions, and two outcomes. So let's press my little button. There it is. So we've got the wise man, verse 24, and we've got the foolish man in verse 26. The wise man hears the words of Jesus. Well, so far, there's nothing to set them apart because so does the foolish man. And so we have the wise man, which we would hope to say is the church of Christ, who is the wise man hearing the words of God and putting them into practice. And then we've got the foolish man, which is not only the world, who maybe hasn't heard, or maybe they've heard and and just deny it or don't want to change, but also, dare I say, some within the church who have heard these words and sit on the foolish side because they're saying, well, I've heard them, I'm just going to go on as I am. I'm not going to allow the Spirit of God to come in and change me. So the wise man's heard the words of Jesus. He's heard about judgment, that there will be a day when we get judged. He's heard about how he should live his lifestyle. He's heard about his commitment to Christ. The foolish man's heard them and just ignores it. And then so we have two outlooks. The wise man has heard and responded. He's seen his need for God. He realises that this is great teaching. 
And it's very difficult to live up to. You can't really. Uh, but you try. It's something to aim towards. And we're all a work in progress. And we rely on what Christ did on the cross, who pays for it when, when we do things wrong, which is what we're going to remember very soon. But he heard and he responded, verse 24. But the foolish man, he heard and he doesn't respond, verse 26. He's saying, well, I'm fine as I am. Just, I like the teaching, or I haven't heard it, but I'm going to ignore it. Well, I'm not even going to give God a second thought. He ignores the warnings. And he goes about doing his, doing his own thing. So we have two decisions. The wise man repents. Repentance means literally turn to or change your mind. He says, I no longer live for myself, I'm living for God. But God gives him this gift of life and says, you can have life in all its fullness. That I'm with you wherever you go. That I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he knows it's difficult. Jesus himself, we're told, was tempted in every way. He knows our weaknesses, he pays for them, he restores us, he forgives us because we've asked him for forgiveness. The wise man trusts in what Christ has done on the cross. He trusts in the forgiveness offered. He asks for help. He's trusting in God and he wants to live that life of a follower of Christ, a disciple. But the foolish man, just continued rebellion, turning away, I know better, but look at the state sometimes of the things that are going on in the world. The world doesn't really know better. The world doesn't trust Christ. They're trusting in themselves and it's not going to work. They choose not to respond. They trust in the ways of the world and they go their own way. And it leads to destruction. It is an easy, wide gate that they go through and it leads to destruction. So there's two outcomes. The first is the wise man stands strong. Verse 25. When that day of judgment comes, he's clothed in the righteousness of Christ and declared not guilty. And it's a free offer. We just have to accept it. And he's with Jesus forever. His life has been based on the rock. But the foolish person falls with a great crash, verse 27. When that day comes, his choice will be honoured. And I think it will fill Jesus' eyes with tears. And he'll weep. Because his mission was to come and seek and save the lost. But they will be lost. Their life has been based on sand. The tide's coming in and it's just washed away. And the fact is that outwardly, two people can look and act uh, the same. They can declare faith, they can go to church, they can listen to sermons, they can read their Bibles. But in my experience, you often find out what's really going on behind the scenes when trouble hits. The storm arrives. Because life isn't perfect, we know that. We know stuff happens. It's not perfect. So a storm arrives and things don't go the way they've planned. And that's when we know, and that's when you'll know the foundations that you've built your life on. Uh, Quite a few years ago, we had a house developed. We took a bit of a risk, and uh, it's very stressful. Um, And uh, one of the early stresses was in about the second week. Uh, It was all going to be very easy, we were told. And then they drilled down. So we've just got to put some foundations in. And uh, when we lived in stock... Uh, there's a, apparently, we found out afterwards, there's a high water table. So they only had to go down about a metre before they hit water. And he said, don't worry about it, and we was just going on holiday. So when you come back, we'll have it all sorted. I said, okay, great. Um, but it will be extra. No, it's their favourite word, extra and longer. Um, and anyway, so we go away and we come back and there's still, there's still these holes in the ground, not much has happened. I said, what's been going on? 
He said, we've got a bit of a problem. We keep drilling down, and we have to. We've got to put piles in, right? Which is like kind of, they dig a, a circular hole. It goes all the way down. He said, we've got to keep going till it's not water. And, uh, and in the end, it was 30 feet. So we had to pay for all this special cement, and there's wire in it and everything else. And I thought, oh, this is just, we've just started, and we're over budget. And, you know, we're taking a risk. And, um, but that's what he said. That's what needs to happen. Because if we don't do the foundation properly, the house will fall down. Eventually, it will subside and it will move and it will shift and you're going to have loads of problems, loads of problems. And I can tell you, when that finally got done, over budget and over time, um, when it was windy and stormy, that house did not move. I remember saying to Andrew, you know, you feel really solid. It is not shifting at all. Now, I'm not sure if before I could feel the house shifting, but it just felt solid. It really did, because the foundations had been done properly, and they were deep, and they were rooted, and it wasn't just a, a bit of a bodge job. You know, it wasn't just, oh, this will make do, and we'll see what happens when the storm comes. The foundations were brilliant. And these are the foundations that we need to live our lives on. We, our lives need to be based on Christ. And this passage, basically Jesus saying, are you going to be obedient or not? Obedience may be to repent, to turn towards God, believe in what Christ has done on the cross. Really believe it. He has died for you. I mean, that is amazing love. And we respond and we get baptised to say that the old has gone, the new has come, I'm living a new life in you now. And we're filled with the Spirit, living our lives for Christ. And we're not alone. Because the Spirit is within us. We're not as concerned for ourselves as we are others. Obedience to listen to the words of Jesus and follow him along with the help of the Spirit in our lives. Lives that count for the kingdom of God. Making a difference. Church makes a huge difference in society. But it could do so much more. And we look at some of the things that Jesus has said to us. Just seeking or striving first for the kingdom of God. Being peacemakers as God is. God made peace with us through Christ. Living lives of integrity, willing to be changed, doing uh, the word, not just hearers of the word. Why do we do it? Verses 28 and 29 give us the answer. Jesus wasn't just one of the teachers of the law, verse 29. He wasn't just quoting scripture and firing spiritual bullets to back up his arguments. He wasn't saying, thus saith the Lord, as if he was just an Old Testament prophet. But he spoke, verse 29 tells us, as one who had authority. And it echoes the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, he's saying, look, I can say this stuff because I'm God. So therefore. So he says, he says, the, sorry, the passage says, he was one who had authority, verse 29. So much so that, verse 28, the crowds were amazed. Elsewhere in John's Gospel, John 7, 16, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. He has said, truly, truly, I say to you, speak in his own name as identical to the Father. Truly, truly, or I tell you, is, is, is said six times in the Sermon on the Mount. He's pointing to himself. He is God. He is God. Six more times he says, but I say to you, when he quotes Moses and the law, you know, but I say to you, he expands on it. Not contradicting Moses, but certainly the corruption of the words making them suit society, especially for the religious leaders at the time. Jesus is our teacher. What are we going to do with these words? Are we going to base our lives on rock or on sand? Are we going to stand firm or will we be just washed away? 
Jesus is our teacher. Jesus is the Christ, the one, the anointed one. Jesus is the judge, which I don't need to be fearful for because I'm a Christian, I'm free. I mean, I don't relish today, but he's going to stand for me. So I trust in what he's done on the cross. So therefore, he's Jesus my saviour, and he's Jesus your saviour. And we sang, Jesus is your friend, and he's your brother, even though he's a king. It's so personal. So the radical decision, but really the only one to be made, is to say, I want to base my life on the rock, not the sand. And it is radical, and it is obedience. And I, I sometimes wonder if the word disciple, well, I know the answer, it's nothing to do with it, but I always like the idea that disciple is very close to the word discipline. There's nothing theolog- theological about that, but sometimes it is discipline. Sometimes it is saying, well, I feel this way, and I want to respond in a certain way, but these words say no. I'm going to really struggle with that. So Holy Spirit, can you come and help me? I want to be more like Jesus. I want to build my life on the rock. Obedience is the wise decision. All the others, then you go in the second camp. You're a fool. You'll be a foolish person because you'll build your life on the sand. Eventually, I got good at windsurfing. Uh, I took the lessons. I did what the instructor told. I wasn't sort of found... Um, at the bottom, at the end of the lake, downwind. I only ever got rescued once. Um, and this was when I was good. And that was over, I'm trying to remember the big lake now. I'll get it in a minute. But anyway, it was inland, which is even more embarrassing. You ever been rescued inland? You know, don't call the helicopters out for that. Um, but it was so windy, it was like a full sail. And I only had a little four metre sail up and zoomed out to the middle. Uh, Graffham water, that was it. And, um, and uh, I, I tried to walk start and I couldn't. I kept blowing over and over and over and again. And about four times when the sail goes over, you've got to swim it around to be upwind, so when you lift it, it pulls you on the board. Uh, but I was shattered, and I was exhausted, and I sat on the, sat on the board, and I realised my need. I thought I knew it all. I thought I was a good windsurfer. I was, actually, pretty good. I should get you some pictures, but, but I didn't bring any today. <laughs> but I wasn't as good as I thought I was, and I had, to, I had to sit on the board with my mate, and, you know, this is the sign for help, you know. <laughs> And I was waving, and very soon, even though it was inland and I had a wetsuit on, I got cold. And I'll tell you now, I mean, it was really windy, so I wasn't just a, you know, the chop, you know, the ripples, if you like, were about this high. People were doing forward loops off of them. I mean, it's really windy. And I was getting worried because, I mean, Graffham Water's massive, right? It's like two miles you can be downwind. And, um, and, and I got a bit scared because I was getting cold, and I could feel my hands going numb, my feet going numb, because I was sitting on the board, and thankfully, the boat comes, and I was rescued. Um, and never at any point did I say, no, you're okay. Uh, I think I'll make it back on my own. I needed help. I asked for help, and I got help, and they took me back to the shore. Jesus gives us warnings in life. God gives us warnings in life to call out to him and receive help. There was another time we went down to Weymouth, and I woke up, Andrew Terry to wake up and literally look out the window and see if the tree was moving. Um, and um, we travelled down to Weymouth, and I was in, was in these little flats on, on the coast, uh, just along, actually, where he was allowed to windsurf, and it was really blowing. It was about force five, which is perfect for windsurfing. And so it was about seven in the morning, I got up, and the night before, there was these big, you know, big Contiki camper vans. You ever seen them? Massive, they are. I really wanted one, never got one. Um, but he was, I thought, he's living the life. He rocks up on this sort of beach, and... He's got all his gear. and Anyway, 7 o'clock in the morning, it's blowing off. I'm going to be the first out there. And I'm rigging up my sail and uh, get my short board and everything. I'm just about to go out, carrying the sail on my head. 
And this guy just sort of comes out, and you can imagine the image, he, he, probably from Dagenham, but he looked Australian, and he had a beard, <laughs> and he had flip-flops and the shorts, he's very lean, you know, I had a lot in similar with him. And, <laughs> and, and he came out, and he said, what are you doing? And, and I thought, what a thicko. I've got a windsurfing sat on my head with a board. I said, I'm going windsurfing. He said, look around. Look at the signs. And I hadn't seen them. And there's all these signs. Saying, Do not windsurf alone. You know, death. is. You know, it, it, it was really a good warning sign. In my haste, I hadn't seen them. And I thought, forgetting the graph and water uh, escapade. No, and I said to him, well, I'm pretty good at windsurfing. I think I'll be fine. He said, well, I'm telling you now, people have died on this beach. So you can listen to those warnings. You can listen to me, or you can be arrogant and go out there. I don't care. I don't even know your name. Turned around, went in and slammed the door. <laughs> Didn't even get an offer for breakfast. And so I looked at the sea, and I looked at the signs, and they were everywhere. How I missed them, I don't know. And I just de-rigged, rather miserably, the sow and you know, got it all packed away, got the board, put it, put it back in the car, went inside. I don't think Andrew was actually awake by the time I'd done all this and uh, had breakfast. The signs are all around us. Build your lives on the rock. But you can ignore them and you're going to put yourself in danger because God's way is the best way. Look at the warning signs. That Dagnum-born Australian Contiki driving hero of mine, he said, it's up to you. He couldn't force me. I could have just carried on. But I would have put myself in danger. And so often we ignore God's word and then blame him when we get into trouble. Build our lives on the foundation. That's what Jesus is saying. God does not want you to make the wrong choices. He warns you again and again. And there's only one choice, and that's to choose him and his ways. Let me pray for you and then we're going to lead in communion. I just wonder whether communion today could be just that recommitment to God's word. As a church, as a family, uh, we, we seek to, to honour this, we seek to honour the word, we seek to honour God in our worship and our lives. And, and I'm aware of my own failings in that, not that I'm condemned. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save it. But I realise my need for him and I realise my need for the Holy Spirit and I realise my need to recommit uh, this morning. So let me pray for you and then we'll go into communion. Lord, we thank you for your words, and they're as true to us today as they were all those years ago. And I pray we'd be a body of people here, that the way we lead our lives, the way we speak about you, that the crowds would be amazed, that they'd want to come to a place where they hear more about you, experience your presence. I pray that we'd have such a concern for our neighbours and our friends, that we would lead these lives in accordance with your, your teaching. And where that puts us in conflict with the world, I pray, Lord, we choose to build our lives on a solid foundation. The one who says, I am your rock and your salvation. Not on sand. Where the enemy will use that to shift and change and we go after our own evil desires. I pray, Lord, we'll build our house on the rock. That we'd be firm in you and we'd live lives according to your word. To do that, we need your help, Holy Spirit, We're very aware of our failings as we come to communion, Lord. I pray we'll bring those things before you that we know about. But equally knowing that you forgive us and that you set us free. As we ask for your forgiveness, as we trust in your cross, we're free to follow you. We thank you that you don't leave us as orphans, that you sent one another like you, the Holy Spirit. 
We thank you for his presence here now. In his place and in the heart of every believer. I pray as we take the bread and the wine and what they represent, your body and blood, that we'd be grateful, but realising that the price has been paid. That the cry of the cross is, it is finished. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, communion today has been prepared by uh, Bridget and Adam and their family. It's good, isn't it? It's all nicely done. So first time, I think they've done a good job, so we thank you for that. And it's brilliant to remember what the bread and wine represent. The body given for you, given for you personally. The blood shed for you personally. What a great privilege. So let's just spend a few moments, bring those things you know you need to before God and ask him to forgive you with a sure promise that he does. Um, and then we'll serve bread and wine together.